It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. And a big thank you to everyone who for listening to us this morning on a Team Jack Radiothon Day. And hope you're doing well on this Thursday. Overcast, a little cool, feels a little bit more like fall and more of that to come. We'll check with Paul Perkins here in about uh, 15 minutes or so to get the lowdown on all of that, but it certainly could affect some crops and stuff as Clay Patton joins us here today, especially in the northern parts of our region in Montana. They're talking a lot of snow. Hey, they're not, yeah, exactly. The Canadian prairies, Montana, mm-hmm. North Dakota, it does not sound like uh, we're in October. It sounds more like they're, you know, in the middle of February right, already. Right. Um, but we won't have to deal with that, but we could deal with some pretty good amounts of rain, which it will slow like, down harvest. Yeah, rain's in the forecast. That's definitely going to slow down, th- down things. And I don't know, we finally got some growing degree day units that got a lot of this, at least close to the finish line. The finish line's in sight. Now is it going to be one of those that you're just going to have to just drudge it out and just and just hands knees yeah. just make your way and just cross it and we finish up 2019. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be good to get 2019 in the rearview mirror. All right, what do you got for us? Let's break down midday. We start off with the Engler Engler Journey and Alex Wojcicki at 12:19, and she's talking with Haley Erkey, who grew up surrounded by entrepreneurs. Started her first business at age eight, then once again as a sophomore. She's now helping others begin their uh, angler entrepreneurial type journeys as well. 12.45, we continue my conversation from the 12.19 yesterday with Scott Richmond, Renewable Fuels Association mm-hmm. Chief Economist. He is talking about ethanol and its role in U.S. energy independence as well as energy security where we just had that supply cr- supply chain disruption in the crude oil markets right. following that attack on Saudi Arabia. Then at 1.17, Chad Moyer steps back in with Jessica Herman, Vice President of Legal and Government Affairs with Nebraska Cattlemen. We get her reaction and the Cattlemen's reaction to the announcement of U.S.-Japan trade agreement. All right, very good. Thank you, Clay. We'll turn it over to Jason Jorgensen now. Jason, what's going on in sports? Well, Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose, he is one of those who is very excited to have ESPN on hand this weekend for their college game day show. Talked about that subject last night on Sports Nightly. He says this proves Nebraska's brand is back. We'll get his thoughts on that. Also, big matchup for K-State on Saturday as they travel to Stillwater. As Wildcats are undefeated, Oklahoma State is 3-1 and one mm. on the year, and Wildcats are ranked in the top 25. So we'll see if they can keep it going as they begin Big 12 action. And we have some high school football action tonight right here on 880 KRVN with Elwood and Anselma Myrna. Kickoff at 7 tonight. And you might be asking, why are they playing on a Thursday? Because of a shortage of referees. I was going to say, it's all about the officials. Just not So anybody out there wants to be official, I know a lot of you think you are. <laughs> on, on Fridays and Saturdays. Thanks a lot, Jason. We turn it over to Bob Brogan. Bob, uh, stocks down just a little bit today. Stock, stocks are broadly lower on Wall Street as investors are pulling back as an impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump moves along and U.S. Economic growth slows. Tech stocks were among the biggest losers today. Cisco Systems fell 2.3%. And NVIDIA shed 1.5%. Meanwhile, the U.S. economy grew at a modest 2% annual rate in the second quarter, a pace a little bit slower than economists were expecting. And uh, those are the stories driving the business world today. All right, that's all coming up on Midday. It is time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Brought to you as 
Most of the time, anyway, by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Birkin's in here with us. Kind of cloudy, a little chilly sort of morning. Yes, uh, we are seeing some areas of sunshine over south-central and southeastern Nebraska and nearby parts of Kansas, also into the Nebraska Panhandle. But pretty much if you're along and northwest of the line from Lincoln to Kearney and Hill City, uh, you're seeing a fair amount of cloud cover. And those temperatures, yeah, staying on the cool side, low and mid-60s. When they talk about temperatures tomorrow being a little bit lower, but more wind to go with it. So it could be it could be a jacket weather tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, it could be, yeah. North winds tomorrow at about 15 to uh-huh. 30. Uh, those north winds always seem to pack a little bit of a chill. Uh, some strong south winds for today, today. will help. Uh, to keep those temperatures a bit on the milder side. That sunny, those sunny areas over southeast Nebraska and central and east Kansas seen helping those temperatures to warm into the upper 60s. But once again, most of us in the low and mid 60s. Our temperatures today actually seasonal for this time of year with a mix of sunny clouds expecting these clouds to gradually break up as the afternoon goes on. South winds increasing as we sit between some low pressure approaching from the west and high pressure exiting off towards the east. Just ahead of a cold front for tonight, our temperatures staying on the milder side with that cloud cover and the wind staying up there. A few thunderstorms will be possible by tomorrow morning with the passage of that front, but mainly in central and eastern areas. Easterly winds for tomorrow through Saturday, supporting plentiful cloud cover and also a chance at some light rain or thunderstorms. Nothing serious, but just on the kind of cool and somewhat cloudy side over the next few days. By Saturday afternoon and evening, that cold front starts to lift back to the north as a warm front. That will be the focus for some thunderstorms Saturday night into Sunday morning. And we're going to see a drastic warm-up on Sunday. We're going to see highs on Friday and Saturday in the 60s to low 70s pretty much. Then highs on into the upper 80s, maybe nearing 90 as we head towards Sunday. It will be a big change in the weather here. Thunderstorm chances will stick around with the passage of a cold front for Sunday night into Monday. Also, some better chances of thunderstorms with multiple rounds expected when that front stalls out Monday night into Wednesday. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures likely to be seasonal to slightly cooler than normal the first nine days of next month. Above normal rainfall likely for Nebraska and Kansas the first nine days of October. That more likely time for above normal rain the middle part of next week. In the regional drought monitor released today, Nebraska remains completely drought-free. Kansas improved a percentage point to 81% drought-free. Abnormal dryness to a moderate drought continues over southwest Kansas from about Ness City to La Crosse and Kinsley back to the southwest corner. Key weather factors driving market trade include heavy precipitation in the northern plains and Midwest, unfavorable heavy rain and snow from the Canadian prairies, and chances for improved moisture for soybean areas of central Brazil. The Midwest expects another round or two of heavy rain this weekend through early next week, which will lead to the prospects of additional flooding, especially over western and north central areas of the Midwest. Above to near normal temperatures for at least another seven days will favor corn and soybean development that runs well behind normal for most temperatures, but will also turn cooler, though, about 10 days from now with lows in the 30s in northwestern areas of the Midwest. Heavy rain will spread east across the northern plains this weekend. For central Montana, heavy snow and wind is expected. An unseasonably cold wave is expected in Montana. That will expand on into North Dakota. The cold and wet Again, delaying the spring wheat harvest and not favorable for maturing corn and soybeans. Central Montana likely to see a hard freeze, a frost and light freeze in eastern Montana may also affect western and central North Dakota by early next week. 
The Canadian prairies will turn colder and wet with a major precipitation event that could mean 12 inches or more of snow in some areas, a season-ending hard freeze likely for Alberta and western and north central uh, western and northern crop areas of Saskatchewan. The central Brazil crop areas with some scattered showers and somewhat cooler weather in the last 24 hours. That is improving their conditions for soybean planting. Boy, it sounds like a pretty major uh, winter storm event for for parts of Canada and maybe northern U.S. Too. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Montana looking at some heavy snow and wind blizzard-like conditions and uh, near nearby parts of uh, the Canada there. I guess winter... You never know when it's going to start arriving in your doorstep when he starts to turn to fall. <laughs> Does it look like, I mean, we've talked about certainly precipitation coming with that for us. Does it look like at this point like it could be a pretty major rain event? It looks like uh, the better chances of heavier rain off to eastern Nebraska okay. and the upper Midwest. But uh, western and central areas, though, probably seeing anywhere from a half an inch to an inch and a half of rain uh, with those multiple rounds of thunderstorms expected from Monday into Wednesday. Okay. Complicate harvest at least a mm-hmm. little bit. Huh? Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Paul, where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. The Angler Entrepreneurship Journey. Celebrating success, embracing failure, and inspiring the entrepreneur inside of you. Just figure out what you can learn. Not what you can't, but what you can On today's Angler Journey, we hear from UNL senior and Orleans, Nebraska native Haley Erke. Haley jokes that her entrepreneurship journey started in the incubator. I grew up in a household of entrepreneurs. Uh, My dad worked incredibly hard hours, and then my uncles actually run the feedlot and seed stock operation as well. And also another piece of it all, I didn't realize this growing up about how cool it was. I just thought my mom was crazy, but she is also (laughs) um, the founder and CEO of Grow Nebraska. And she actually wrote that business plan for that company when I was in the incubator because I was a premature baby. I was 55 days in the hospital. I was born up two pounds, eight ounces. So my mom had a lot of time to cultivate her ideas. And that's why she says she's been an entrepreneur since day one. At age eight, Haley started her first business, HP Erky Cattle Company, and that was fueled by her love for the cattle industry. At age 10, she tried starting a popcorn ball business, and then when she was a sophomore, she launched Wave Image Marketing. That idea came after a strong nudge to join the journalism program at her high school. So I got into that class, and I actually started to like it, but my marketing business didn't come out until I was at a bull sale, and my uncle, J.D., uh, had me with him, and I'm sitting here, and he's buying cattle at the bull sale, and I'm on my phone buying cattle, and he was, like, questioning me on, like, why I was doing this, how did I find these cattle, and I was like, Facebook, you know, and he just looks at me, and he goes, do you know how to run Facebook, and I was like, well, yeah, and he's like, <laughs> Uncle JD, why doesn't Powerline have Facebook, and he looked at me, and he goes, because no one knows how to run Facebook in our company, and I laughed at him, and I said, well, I can And that was the beginning of Wave Image Marketing. Now, all throughout high school, Haley was really encouraged to join the Angler program because of her entrepreneurial potential. But Angler and even UNL wasn't in Haley's plans. Uh, I had a really rough kind of point of my senior year where I had applied for Santa Fe office. And if you would have asked me any goal in high school, it would have been I was going to be a state officer. Mm. And not getting state office was a blessing because that's when I was like, trying to figure out where I was going to go to school because I hadn't really committed to UNL at that point. But she took that leap of faith and committed. She committed to UNL, committed to Angler, and committed to her entrepreneurial abilities. And now she serves as a mentor to beginning Angler students. There's a book that I've 
been reading with um, Dr. Field in the 101 class, and it is do the work. And a lot of the first part of it's been about resistance. And I've been talking to my kids about that, the three students in my group, and one of the words I ask them, I go, so when we think of the word resistance, we think of it could be anything from not wanting to do something to wanting to watch Netflix or, you know, not wanting to do your homework. But what about being resilient? Why don't we change that word to resilient? What can we do to be resilient? Instead of thinking of the bad, but like what's going to happen and what's going to be my economic profit? Because that is your reward for not being scared. Just taking that leap of faith, you know, praying to the good Lord, it's all going to work out. Because, you know, in the end, it ultimately does. Aside from developing successful businesses, Haley has learned life lessons through Angler. And as a mentor, she's passing those lessons on to younger entrepreneurs. When I came to college, I was ultra competitive. I was like, you know, I graduated in the top four of my class. I gave speech at graduation. I think the Angler program showed me, you know, it's more than the rubric and getting an A on that test. And so when I have the freshmen tell me, you know, I don't know, this is just really bad. Like, I'm not going to do well on this. And I'm like, you know what? Just figure out what you can learn. Not what you can't, but what you can. Learn more about the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln by visiting angler.unl.edu. Time for us to take a look at sports. Jason Jorgensen in studio with us here today. And uh, Bill Moose says uh, game day being at Lincoln. Says good things are going on. That's big one for Nebraska. The Huskers host undefeated Ohio State, and ESPN's College Game Day show will originate from Lincoln. And Moose feels that's another sign that things are headed in the right direction. When you put the blueprint together and you're mixing the recipe up and all that, here we are in year two of the Scott Frost era, and we've got Game Day coming. Now I'm going to tell you what that shows me is that the brand is back. Uh, respect for us. Uh, uh, here we are. We're we're three and one. Moose made his comments last night on the Husker Sports Network. Now this is the first time College Game Day has been in Lincoln since 2007. Kickoff on Saturday night is set for 6:30. Of course, we will bring you the game here on 880 KRVN. UNK hosts undefeated and 18th ranked Pittsburgh State on Saturday night. The Lopers have rotated quarterbacks this season. Senior Alex McGinnis and redshirt freshman T.J. Davis. So far, head coach Josh Lynn likes the results. I'm extremely happy with both those guys. Um, you know, what, what, what important was given us uh, defensively, um, you know, we a lot of quarterback runs, so that kind of plays into TJ's, T.J.'s wheelhouse a little bit more. You know, the one thing I was really impressed with Alex, though, is we, we put him in there late in the second quarter. Uh, with about four minutes left, and he took us right down the field throwing the ball. Now, kickoff on Saturday night is set for seven. We'll have that one for you over on 93.1 The River. 24th-ranked Kansas State goes into its Big 12 opener at Oklahoma State undefeated under new head coach Chris Kleiman. The last time the Wildcats were 3-0 was 2015 when they lost their fourth game in their Big 12 opener at Stillwater. But this K-State team has the Big 12's best defense, allowing 256 total yards and just 13 points a game. Now, the Cowboys will be a test. They have the league's top rusher and top passer while averaging 534 yards and 45 points a game. Kansas State Senior Center Adam Holtorf of Seward has been named a semifinalist for this year's William V. Campbell Trophy. That award recognizes an individual as the absolute best football scholar athlete in the nation. Scott, he's he's one that got away. Yeah. He's a career 28-game starter for the Wildcats. Last year's first-team academic 
All-American. That's pretty impressive stuff. I'm not sure if Chris Kleiman got the uh, memo that you're not really supposed to play defense in the Big 12. I don't know. If he yeah, that, that's a good point there. <laughs> and Royals shortstop Alberto Mondesi will have his will have surgery to repair his left shoulder that he injured over the weekend. Now, he first sustained this injury back in July and injured it again in Sunday's loss to Minnesota. This limited him to 102 games, finishing with a 263 batting average, 9 homers, 62 RBIs, and 43 stolen bases. If the Royals eventually are going to turn things around, he needs to be one of the cornerstones. And uh, he's going to be on the show for a while. 43 stolen bases is pretty interesting. Is that Raul's kid, then? Is that yes, Raul Mondesi's kid? Yep. Okay. We have high school football action for you tonight. Elwood and Anselma Myrna here on 880 KRVN with kickoff at 7. Also a pretty decent matchup in the NFL on a Thursday night. The Packers playing the Eagles. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at KRVN.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. All right, thanks, Jason. Time for us to take a look at our news going on in our area. And, of course, that means Dave Schroeder time. And, uh, Dave, you got to go over to the uh, Hero Flight send-off yesterday. That's always that's always a neat event, isn't it? It is a very special event. And they had probably about the biggest crowd they've had uh, really? there, too. And they've always had big crowds. But this is bigger than, than the, it's been. Good people there on the Hero Flight. Uh, it was fun to hear some of their stories. Interviewed a couple of them. Got a chance to do that. And uh, it's just a lot of people involved in making it a special event for for our heroes, our veterans who served, gave of their time and uh, at some point in their lives, and and so it was just good to see that uh, send off. It always it's always amazing to me how many of those guys have never been to D.C. have never seen any of these things. Yes, you know they're just going to be blown away by the, I, the Korean Memorial. To me, is just amazing. But uh, the the Vietnam Wall, so many things are going to mm-hmm. be really impressed with. So it'll be cool. Absolutely. Well, in news, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is set to speak to Nebraska Democrats at a party fundraiser next month. The Nebraska Democratic Party announced that Pelosi will be the keynote speaker at its annual Morrison-Exxon fundraiser on October 26th in Omaha. The party fundraiser will also celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the constitutional amendment that gave women the right to vote. Two people suffered minor injuries when their small plane crashed while trying to land at a central Nebraska airport. It was reported a little after 5.20 yesterday afternoon at Jim Kelly Field on the west side of Lexington. Dawson County Sheriff's Office Lieutenant Tucker Case says it appears the plane got caught up by strong crosswinds while landing. A witness says the plane clipped a tree on a windbreak. The plane came down and skidded to a stop in an alfalfa field. Its lone engine propeller and undercarriage were damaged. The pilot and plane owner identified as 65-year-old Riley George. His passenger, 64-year-old Marcia George, they live in the rural Eustis area. A group in Kearney has proposed refurbishing the 80-year-old sanatorium at Harmon Park, and community leaders are all in. The Kearney High School Band Director, Nathan Lefebvre, says the sanatorium is a community icon. So how can the community and surrounding area contribute to the effort? We'll never know. Let's try. Yes, hang on. Let's just try that again. Here is it's yes. a, it's thinking hard about it. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. So so the computer isn't quite keeping up here. 
But anyway, the Kearney City Council recently gave Lefebvre's proposed sanatorium uh, facelift an enthusiastic thumbs up. And a northeast Nebraska man accused of locking his children in a bedroom and denying them food has pleaded guilty to child abuse. The Sioux City Journal reports that 55-year-old Patrick Henderson of Wakefield pleaded guilty to two counts of child abuse. In exchange, prosecutors will recommend Henderson be placed on probation when he's sentenced November 22nd. We're working right now with getting set up with the Kearney Area Community Foundation as well as the Give Where You Live that happens in early December. It's the one-day giving event that happens in many of our communities. They can be looking to the Kearney Parks and Rec website. We will have information up there if they would like to donate to that portion or just continue to listen to those news media outlets as we get farther down that road. And the uh, computer caught up there. (laughs) It's back. All right. Well, Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network, and he's Scott Foster. All right. Thank you, Dave. U.S. ethanol helping the U.S. secure its fuel sources and soften the blow of crude oil supply disruptions continued right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Yesterday we heard from the Renewable Fuel Association Chief Economist Scott Richmond on a recent independent study by economist and energy expert Dr. Philip K. Vergler, Jr. The study looked at how the ethanol helped the U.S. with both energy independence and security, covering every major crude oil supply disruption in the last 50 years. Dr. Vergler's research also continues the theory that ethanol helps create higher octane gasoline for consumers and helps them save at the pump. The study showed that the renewable fuel standard helps save the average American family more than $5 per fill-up or just over $200 a year in fuel costs. Now, back with Renewable Fuels Association Chief Economist Scott Richmond. Scott, the recent drone and missile strike on Saudi Arabian oil supplies caused panic and disruption in the energy markets. It disrupted things in a, in a couple of ways. First of all, even though we've in the United States enjoyed the benefits of of the shale revolution. Some people think that we're completely energy independent. That's just not the case right now. Uh, We still imported about 2.8 billion barrels of oil last year. We need those given our refinery configuration and for uh, because of the geography of of some refineries. The shale oil that we produce is a a very light oil. We have to balance that out with with some other grades. The other thing to note is that we've been able to uh, to export crude oil uh, for a few years now, and given that we are both importing and exporting crude oil, we are part of of a global energy market. So, you know, while some people might talk about like a net energy uh, approaching net energy independence. The truth is that only helps so much on, on the price side. We are directly connected to global prices. In fact, uh, over the last week, gasoline futures have gone up uh, about 10%. So you know, people can expect that to uh, to show up at the at the gas pump. And you know, even just looking at uh, Saudi Arabia uh, in particular, we still import uh, a, a considerable amount of, of crude oil. Uh, from there, it's been running, I think, about 600,000 barrels per day this year. And one area that particularly where, where those imports come in uh, to, to a large extent is California. California's got the largest fuel market in the country. It's got the highest prices uh, already. This is something that, that impacts the country overall and some areas uh, very specifically. We can see knee-jerk reactions that happen at big pivotal events such as this attack and and energy disruption. Though, did we see the knee-jerk reaction? Was there somewhat of a surge in ethanol demand during in the U.S. when we thought there was going to be this large crude oil shortfall? It's really 
hard to kind of pick that up in real time. Even Department of Energy statistics are about a week delayed. You know, the other thing that makes it a little bit difficult is we're just coming off of end of the summer driving season. We'll have to see exactly what plays out. But one thing that we're hopeful for is that federal government approves year-round sales of E15, 15% ethanol earlier this summer. And the early data that we have on it is that sales have been keeping pace with where they were back in the spring rather than showing the summertime drop-off they had before. There's a lot of interest as a result taking away this restriction of retailers and adding E15 to provide choice to customers. And so what we're hopeful for is that ethanol will really provide a kind of swing factor. Ethanol is right now uh, on the futures market priced about 30 cents below gasoline. We're hopeful that as these things happen in the future and as E15 availability expands, uh, that's going to be directly visible at the pump and consumers are going to be able to choose that, that less expensive option of E15. From Renewable Fuels Association's standpoint, do you see energy independence security kind of being that, again, we're going into the 2020 election cycle, is energy independence security going to be that buzzword for, for some politicians in their campaigns, as well as it going to be part of a maybe a stronger lobbying effort as, as that being a key factor and focus of this is what ethanol can do for us? On the second one, we've pretty consistently talked about the diversification of, of energy sources. And, you know, ethanol has benefits beyond just diversification, carbon benefits, et cetera. We have pretty consistently talked with policymakers and others about the, uh, about the importance of diversification in the fuel supply. And that's not only having our, our own domestic crude oil production, but as we've seen, as I've talked about, this is a, a global market for uh, for, for petroleum. Ethanol does a few things. It provides octane. Uh, it adds to the fuel supply, which is going to reduce costs. And then it's really, it, it's a really separate source of supply. Ethanol is produced uh, primarily from corn, a little bit from sorghum. The economics of ethanol are more tied to those markets. And so when you get an incident like we've seen over the last week, different economics of ethanol uh, get to be a little bit more uh, more visible. As far as the role of energy security the, uh, in political campaigns, we would hope that this would be a, a reminder of that. Um, I guess how much airtime it gets and how much candidates decide to talk about it kind of is based on whether this incident kind of gets smoothed over or it turns into something larger. People sometimes have short attention spans, but uh, this is definitely a reminder. That again, Renewable Fuels Association Chief Economist Scott Richmond discussing how ethanol plays a key role in U.S. energy independence and security. To hear additional questions on this topic and with Scott Richmond, check out the podcast of the interview at RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network. Let's get an update on some good news in the beef industry and for uh, agricultural uh, trade overall. Visiting with us here today is Vice President of Legal and Government Affairs with Nebraska Cattlemen, Jessica Herman. And and Jessica, we heard news yesterday that, uh, in fact, the U.S. and Japan are entering into a free trade agreement, and this is good news. This is a win in a tough year, 2019, huh? Jessica? It's a huge win. This is one that the cattle industry in Nebraska has been desperately waiting for, and it comes off what all, all of your listeners know has been a very, very tough year. We've had market volatility, 
horrible floods and then the devastating fire at the Tyson plant in Holcomb. This is something we really need, and we are very thankful to have it. I know details are still coming out, but kind of give us what do we know about this agreement between the U.S. and Japan as of now? Perfect. So last month, uh, President Trump and the Japanese Prime Minister Abe announced that they would be negotiating on a bilateral trade agreement. But we didn't know what any of those details were going to be, particularly how it was going to impact U.S. beef exports. Now we're starting to get a little bit more details on what the agreement is, and it looks very good. So what it basically is going to do is it's going to mirror what we had under the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP. So what we're hearing is that uh, it's going to be you know the same on parity with what that would have granted us, which basically would take the massive 38.5% tariff that we as U.S. beef producers have to have on our product as it goes into Japan, that it's going to lower that to 26.6%, but then keep lowering it to eventually over 9, 9% over a seven-year period. That's the same delivery schedule that the TPP countries are enjoying and that uh, we would have gotten under TPP. So what we're hearing is it's we've basically gotten what we got under TPP, which was a huge win, and we were... Um, clamoring for that ever since it was we, the U.S. was withdrawn from that agreement. Yep. Again, describe this Japanese market for U.S. red meat and specifically beef. Even up to this point, it has been very valuable, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. Um, we have seen our demand for our product in the Japanese market just grow and grow and grow year after year. It, right now, it's the leading export market for Nebraska beef exports. Last year alone, we had a total value of $412 million dollars. So it is huge, particularly when you think that and you, when you consider that uh, trade provides about roughly three hundred and sixty-ish dollars per head in, in uh, benefits directly back to the producer. So it is huge. Every time we can expand our markets and we can get access into new countries and get tariffs lowered and reduced. That is going to directly benefit Nebraska's beef producers. All right, so here we have it, a, a win, uh, an agreement between the U.S. and, and Japan. Uh, does this tee up other agreements, hopefully, do you think, Jessica? You know, I really hope it does. I hope this is sort of the first one in a long line of agreements that are to come. Um, obviously, we've been working pretty hard with the European Union on expanding our dedicated quota that we have there, um, as well as other countries in uh, Asia. Vietnam is one that's, that's really we're seeing that demand just increase. Uh, clearly, China is one that we have been working hard to open up. We finally had it opened after that 14-year hiatus with the cow that stole Christmas, and we're working on getting that back in there. So we've, we've yeah, hopefully this is the first and a lot more to come. All right, very good. Well, thank you so much for your perspective and insight on that. Again, uh, a U.S.-Japan trade agreement announced yesterday and uh, definitely going to benefit red meat and Nebraska beef. Thanks so much for the insight again. We've been visiting with Jessica Herman, Vice President of Legal and Government Affairs with Nebraska Cattlemen. Here on the Rural Radio Network, Chad Moyer reporting. Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network, joined with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, as we take a look, we saw that spread unwinding in the wheat contracts between Minneapolis and Chicago, Kansas City. Then on the corn and the soybeans, a little bit of spread action there, but the soybeans actually lose some front month action at the uh, close. Yeah, I, I can't figure the beans out. I really can't. You would think the news we were, were just getting recently would be bullish, but maybe we're uh, we're putting in a little bit of harvest pressure here. I, I think we mentioned before we went on the air that producers are trying to start. Um, I, I think that if you're going to go, you probably need to go here short term because it doesn't look like over the next beyond a week you're going to get much good weather. Uh, I know you guys are 
obviously dealing with some of the cooler issues that are coming on board here first, and then we'll get it more later in the in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, it's just a, simply a race to get out of the field at this point. I know it's still early, but, you know, guys this way are cutting bushels. Oh, I'd say yields 5 to 10% below they were a year ago with, with moisture anywhere between 25 and 30%. So it's kind of coming out like glue and, and having a difficult time finding a place to put it. Basis is really strong, which is surprising, um, especially given our carryout. So I don't, I don't know. It's hard to put two and two together here. You get good data, we get good trade news, and the market doesn't want to move. Then we also look at, like we were saying, the, that wheat spread action. We saw Minneapolis after its big rally up. Where do we see, does this all start to turn around once again Monday, once we get out that latest USDA stocks report and wheat production numbers out? Yeah, it, I think you're probably on to something there. I, you know, the, the last time we had a real weather problem was, I think, two summers ago in the spring wheat, contra, in the spring wheat and it was due to dryness. Uh, and it's KC a little while to follow. So I actually think maybe KC is focused on what you're talking about with the grain stocks. And then once we get through that, it, it has a run coming. We're still early in the delivery cycle here. There's no pressure from, from elevators or anybody looking to price bushels uh, in the shorter run. Um, you know, demand is somewhat good. I guess the exports this morning weren't weren't on fire, but uh, I think you're going to see in the the grain stocks report maybe some further disappearance in wheat than we we previously thought, just due to the the advanced feeding numbers that we saw this summer. I know a lot of folks had shifted to wheat when corn got expensive, um, and I think wheat is really a key here. Uh, corn is going to have a difficult time rallying if KC wheat isn't isn't jumping. So uh, it's good to see it up today. I think corn, just kind of a blip in the radar, so to speak, uh, profit-taking with a recent rally, and it was nice to see us come back here and close with a decent decent close here up to 372. Again, we've been talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, their publisher of the newsletter this week in Grain. If you'd like to know where you can find a sign-up to receive that newsletter, go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Again, that is DanielsAgMarketing.com. At the close, we do see December corn about about one three quarters, but it did return back to three seventy-two and a half at the end. And that'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN on this Thursday. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on krvn.com. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Divinity Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divinity deal.